Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Anthony Kazenza and this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. So great to have you with us again live as we get set for Bengals training camp 2018. It's just around the corner. Uh, maybe by the time you download this show, it will have already begun. Uh, I am joined by John Sheeran, who I need to give a little uh, pat on the back, I guess, to because he uh, got got a nice little promotion at Cincy Jungle through SB Nation. So congratulations, my friend. Well-deserved and uh, just more work for you, though, right? It's always what it is, you know, more work, <laughs> a little more pay, but, you know, comes with it. Nice. Nice. Well, congratulations. Well-deserved. I you. you know your articles do uh, very well on our website in terms of viewership and all of that. So um, well-deserved. We'll also be joined a little bit later by Scott Schulte, our, our uh, other co-host. He's going to be joining us, I think, later in the show. I said that last week, yet we didn't, we didn't get him on, but that's okay. Um, I think we're going to finally get him back later in the program tonight, and we're excited to have him back. Last week, we kind of talked about a number of different things. John, well, by we, I mean me. So I, it was just one big monologue by me, I guess. But uh, we talked about a number of different topics, but we're going to change the gears here now since training camp is just about to begin. And there's been a number of different news headlines, notes, uh, especially, I guess we, we, we got to start at the top. Mike Brown, Marvin Lewis. Uh, we all know Marvin Lewis is back, signed that contract extension. Very weird scenario to start this offseason um many people thought he would leave and then as more time passed uh i think most people kind of understood that he was going to be coming back and that's okay as i guess as more time has passed because we've learned some things and one of the things we have learned and i don't think you and i have gotten to talk about this john um were some of the eye-opening comments from tj hushmanzada a few weeks ago um, and I addressed that on last week's show, so I don't want to go too much into that. But what I want to touch on is the fact that Mike Brown, in, in his kind of luncheon with the media in, in pre-training camp kickoff, Mike Brown talked about his relationship with Marvin Lewis, why he brought Marvin Lewis back, his comfortability with him, his confidence level in him. Um, and then you, you kind of look back at, Hushmanzada's comments where his first two seasons, 2001, 2002, organizational mess seems to be better under Lewis. I guess two-pronged question for you here to start off the show, my friend. Does it make you a little more comfortable now that Lewis is back, given some of the comments from Hushmanzada and Mike Brown? Um, and, you know, do you kind of believe some of the th – do you think even Mike Brown believes some of the things he's saying as the Bengals head into training camp? To start off with that uh, question, Mar Marvin Lewis, when people talk about how um, if he were to leave, then the Bengals would revert back to the 90s, I don't think it's possible for in 2018 for an NFL franchise to be run – as poorly as the Bengals were in the nineties where you had what Hushman's auto was saying with like the used jock straps and no Gatorade. It was basically like the, like the, the Oakland A's before like Billy Bean took over with Moneyball and stuff like that. It was just deplorable stuff. And you just would not see that in, in this day and age nowadays. I don't think like when, if Marvin Lewis were to leave, that would happen. And I think that's what a lot of people are scared about. So at this point, anything that Mike says about Marvis when he's coaching here until like, 2050 like it's all going to be the same kind of thing just worded a little bit different like he said that he's you know placing his bet down on marvin which is 
just basically paraphrasing the same thing that he said in the in like the past like four extensions he's given to him. The fact that he compared um, staying with Marvin to literally like a Catholic marriage and how it's better to stay tried and true than to try something new. It, it, it's just the words of someone who in his mid eighties is just doing what he thinks is, is best because it's better than what was before. And just a severe lack of just ambition as an, as an NFL owner. Agreed uh, to some extent. And if you, <laughs> if you ever heard Mike Brown speak, uh, I've actually met the guy in person. So he, I've, you know, I've, so I, 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 yeah. I, I've had a conversation with him. He's, he's a very nice man, but he is kind of the, the old guy in terms of his turn of phrases, um, his uh, comparisons, his metaphors. It's, it's, it's a very interesting thing um, to hear him speak. And of course, every time he does speak, you get just, you almost have more questions than you have answers when he, when he answers a question, it's, it's a very yeah. interesting very interesting thing. Now, um, the other thing that, and I don't want to go too much into this because this isn't a political show, um, but the other thing he did note, and actually I was on another radio program earlier today, uh, and I was asked this, I was kind of put on the spot, um, but he did note something about something uniform. He hopes the NFL has basically some uniform policy in place by week one for the, the national anthem issue. Um, I, you know, we don't have to go too far into this, but do you agree with him on, on that front? Or uh, is, are you kind of a little bit more on the player side, I guess, in terms of let them, let them do what they want to do? I'll say this. When I, when I spoke to when I heard Mike speak in person and had like a two minute conversation with him, he honestly reminded me a lot of my grandpa on my dad's side. And I only knew him after long after he retired as a public defender. So Mike, just in my opinion, just the, the general statements he makes just sound like a guy who's not doesn't seem like he's in quite of a, a position of power and indicative of someone who's just retired at this point. So like statements like that he made regarding the anthem and the players and whatnot, it was very it didn't like, you know, nobody's jaws dropped it at, at the side of it. There was no, like, nothing shocking about it. It was a very scripted statement and, and just nothing, no substance to it. Me, personally, I, I don't think the owner should be involved with the player's decision to kneel at all. I think it's an entirely different issue that doesn't really involve them. But, of course, it, the NFL the NFL is run by the owners and run by Goodell, so they're always going to have influence in these sort of things. So... It, any any comment that Brown had about the anthem, it's just there's just it wasn't it wasn't going to go all Jerry Jones on him about how he's going to not keep him in the locker room, how they're going to have hand over hearts and whatnot. So at this point, you know Brown, anything he says about it, it's you don't really have to take it any with any grain of seriousness or you know have to be shocked by any of it. I guess. Yeah, and I guess I guess the reason why I brought that up, and and I said this on the the radio program I was on, uh, it was a Fox Sports a affiliate in in New Mexico uh, with Steve Bortstein. Um, the the thing that I thought was kind of uh, that makes sense in terms of him talking about the national anthem is the fact that he was in the headlines when the Bengals brought in Eric Reed for a visit. Obviously, it kind of got out there that Brown 
made it known that he wants his players to stand, at least at that point in time, wants his players to stand and be there for the national anthem. And obviously Eric Reed is a very big proponent of the other side of that argument. So I, I guess that's why I wanted to bring that up and, and very interesting. And another kind of quote as we transition from some quotes from Mike Brown into some interesting ones from Marvin Lewis from this luncheon, he said, and this goes back to, again, his, odd usage of, of metaphors and everything. He said, this is all I know. I'm back in the kitchen being a cook. I like cooking. Um, now there's two ways to take this. Again, we could go back to this balance of power type of thing where Marvin Lewis has kind of gained a little bit more organi organizational sway with the team and, and um, has moved Mike Brown to, to change a bit. And you say, well, he's a chef. You know, when you look at the hierarchy, I guess, of a restaurant, a chef can either be head chef who opened the restaurant and is the guy, or a cook in the kitchen is sometimes just kind of a, a person that's there, an important person, but there are general managers and managers and all kinds of other people that also help run the franchise. Do you think this points to anything, or is this just another, you know, interesting kind of weird metaphor from an older guy that I don't know we should just take with a grain of salt I think Mike Brown believes that his team is like a family-owned Italian restaurant in the corner of like Philadelphia <laughs> or something like that because yeah. honestly like the yeah. whole aspects of the hierarchy of organizational leadership is all you know surrounded by Brown's influence with his family and the Blackburns and all that kind of stuff Brown is just the guy, you know, in the back office with, you know, his little leather chair and his wooden desk, maybe a little cat on his knee. And he's just he's making the decisions, but he's not he's not like he's not he's not the muscle and like the decision making power. He's just he just likes to be around the operations for as long as he as he possibly can be, even though he's not like the Jerry Jones, or the Robert Kraft type of owner that you know other and more ambitious franchises are. But the Bengals in the most general sense possible are a clean run business that operates smartly in terms of financially. If you're just, if you're just looking at it from a strictly accounting perspective. And I just think that Mike, that's all Mike has ever known as the owner of a, of a football team. And at this point in his life, he likes to do it. So he wants to continue doing it for as long as he can. And just from just a general perspective as a human being to another human being, you know, be, you got, you got to respect that, that happiness that he gets out of it, even if he could obviously do it better. Yeah. A couple of different uh, comments in our live YouTube chat, and, and I encourage the conversation to continue there as well as if you have some questions, we're going to be doing our, our usual listener questions segment at the end of the program. Uh, Michael Myers, regular listener. Um, if I had to choose between the two, I would rather have Brown move on and get a new owner than have Lewis leave. If I had to choose between the two, of course, that's an interesting statement. Um, let's see. There was one other one. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, Myers did continue. It's a free country. Let the players do what they want. But remember, actions have consequence. So don't complain. Uh, talking about the national anthem. And then Jason Von Stein says, if Mike Brown was a food, what would he be? Uh, some classic answers there. Chris Risner, spam. Uh, <laughs> I, I see mashed potatoes. Uh, so some funny stuff there. Very cheap uh, food. Yes, yes. One of those microwavable dinners, right? Oh, um, sure. 
Yeah. Uh, and just a little side note from our good friend, Josh Kirkendall, he put out a tweet, very interesting, noting the amount of guaranteed money each team has spent. It's on Twitter, so you can check it out. Um, the amount of guaranteed dollars teams spent this offseason in free agency and the Bengals were the lowest. Now I do want to say there's a major caveat to that because they traded for Cordy Glenn. He was not, and he's, he's getting a, a sizable chunk of money. He was not an, a free agent, but um, I, I don't know if you want to necessarily just group that once again in the frugal type of category with Mike Brown, but um, interesting, interesting stat. Obviously though, you know, there's an asterisk to it though, right? Yeah, the asterisk being that Cordy Glenn was traded here, not not just because he was a good left tackle, but if Cordy Glenn had twenty more million dollars of guaranteed money attached to his name, the Bengals probably might not have traded him or traded for him because after this year, Glenn has no more dead cap to his name. It's it's yeah. a contract that the Bengals pro- like to hand out to their players just to front load all the guaranteed money up front and to not involve a lot of guaranteed money in the first place. So Glenn never had a, a high guaranteed contract and the bills um, signed a deal that would allow them to get out of it early if they need to. And in this case, they, they traded him, but yeah, besides Glenn, you had like what Preston Brown and Chris Baker as your other free agent signings. They were just one small one year deals. So it wasn't even, even with the Glenn trade, it wasn't anything different from like a normal Bengals off season that we've seen in the past. Right. Right. Yeah. A little bit more of the same. Let's transition now. Um, well, before we do, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He is John Sheeran, also with Cincy Jungle and SB Nation. Um, hopefully going to be a regular part of this program going forward, especially as we're getting into training camp and the regular season. We are hoping to be joined by Scott Schultz later on. You can get this program on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, uh, we're on Twitter at Bengals OBI. All the stuff's on cincyjungle.com as well, so you can get it there. Um, please subscribe, especially to our YouTube channel. If you haven't yet, you get notifications of when we're on the air, and uh, um, you know you can join us in the live YouTube chat there. You can also get in touch with us via email, the obinsider at gmail.com. As I mentioned, we're going to be taking some questions, so uh, there's already been a couple in the live YouTube chat. We're kind of monitoring the other areas, uh, so so please send them our way. Um, Marvin Lewis, obviously we talked about how Mike Brown says, quote, we have a very sturdy relationship. He, he expressed confidence in Lewis this year. Um, Marvin came out and said that he thinks this team now, obviously every coach, every off season says their team's going to, their team is aiming for the Super they have the ability to win the Super Bowl. Obviously, the Bengals made some some decent improvements uh, in a number of critical areas this offseason, be it through the draft or trade or free agency. We know those names by now. Well, even, even in the coaching staff, too. I mean, that, that, those are changes there that we, we need to talk about, I guess. But um, Marvin says his the Bengals have the, the ability to win the Super Bowl. Um, of course he used his normal Lewis speak. We have the right, we have to write the ship. I mean, it, tell me how many times you've heard that one. Is, is that going on the shirt? Or is, yeah. is, is it right? It, it, it might. Yeah. It, it might as well. I mean, we, and have, yeah, yeah. I mean, it might as well. Um, I don't know how much when, when Marvin was 
kind of out there in terms of not having a contract. I don't know how many other teams that needed a head coach were would have clamored for his services. But then you also look at, you know, he's getting up there in age. He says retirement was never part of the factor. I mean, I guess what where I'm going with this, John, is do you think he really believes that this team has? I mean, I, I would think for him to come back, he has to have some semblance of a belief that this team's going to be improved. They're going to make some more moves. They're going to be better. But do you think he really believes that? And do you believe that the Bengals have – a shot at, at winning the Super Bowl. I think Marvin believes he can get away with saying that because Marvin has the most dip. He, he has an absurd amount of immunity in terms of what he does and and also what he says because we always we always have known him to be kind of a jerk to local media, and he can just make these outlandish statements and make these promises and go seven and nine and he'll be back the next year. He's here as long as he wants to be. That's not a secret anymore. I think we all know that. I think that his ambition is obviously to win a playoff game for starters, but at this point, you know, there's not a lot of pressure on him except for the fact that he's just getting older to actually do something because Mike is just so enamored with having him as the coach that he doesn't have to worry about backing up statements. As far as them actually winning the Super Bowl, they could win a playoff game, Maybe as far as where the team is in terms of making a run in January, it's a question of just overall depth and surviving injuries, because I don't think mm-hmm. at this, at this point that the, 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 the face, like just, just like the, the cover of the starting lineup, you know, the 22 guys are going to be out there uh, and on the first snap, it's a good looking group. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's not, but injuries can happen, especially with, you know, John Ross and Eifert and Glenn and guys on defense that, I'm, that I won't mention. Like, if those if guys go down, just like they have for the past couple of years, they still don't have that reserve talent to pick up the slack and win games that they should win close games down the stretch. It's just, it, everything would have to go right. And that's usually what it is for Super Bowl teams. But even take, take for example the Eagles last year, they lost Carson Wentz, they lost, you know, Jason Peters. But they had a system and a, and a coach in Doug Peterson who just kind of rolled with the punches and just kept going and just and just stuck and, and not only just stuck with the system, but evolved the system as they went on with their players. And kind of the thing that we've noticed from Marvin, unless he has like a Mike Zimmer at defensive coordinator or a Hugh Jackson as offensive coordinator, you know, he doesn't really evolve his system and his and his you know scheme and whatnot to the talent around him. He's more real stubborn to what he likes to do. And that kind of and that kind of hinders the talent around them. So it's just those factors that just haven't really changed. That it, it is there's still a, a strong sense of pessimism as to how far this team can go. I guess. Yeah, I, I think I think they will be. I've said this to a lot of people when people ask me whether it's friends or whoever, just in casual conversation or um, interviews I've done or whatever. I, I think this team will be improved, and I think they will be. I think they'll, they, their brand of football this year will be much more fun to watch than the pr- past two seasons. To me, mm-hmm. the past two seasons, for the most part, aside from maybe the pass rush last year, um, they didn't run the ball well. They, uh, their offensive line has been a mess. You know, their downfield passing game, it's, it's completely feast or famine. And – you know, their defense really wasn't causing a ton of turnovers, all that kind of stuff. I think there's going to be improvement in a lot of those areas. 
I just don't know how many win more wins that will translate to. That's right. that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I, I do think they will be they will be improved. I think they'll kind of be in the conversation at least when when December starts to roll around. But um, you know, I I think like you, if if the team is going to make the playoffs, win a playoff game, and win get to and win the Super Bowl, absolutely everything needs to yeah. fall directly and, in place. That's that like absolutely everything. Injuries, Ross, Eifert, guys producing yeah. the offensive line, taking big steps. That's where I'm at. I'm sure you're probably a little bit in the same boat. Yeah. And, and the thing about the, the improvement is that like Mike and Marvin, or I think it was just Mike made this comment saying that they weren't that far off last season because of two games that they won late in the season that ended up going seven and nine before that they were five and nine on the verge of going five and 11. And in most like advanced metrics and statistics, they were a bot. They were a clear bottom ten team, and you know, just overall passing, overall rushing, rush run defense, all the you know the things that are indicative of a bottom ten team. They weren't close last year, even despite a, a one win away from being five hundred. So I think the team was worse than maybe. Obviously, Mike is telling us, and what maybe some fans may think. So improvement's going to be there. It's just maybe improvement of being like a solid eight and eight, nine seven team instead of a clear, uh, you know, double digit win team. Yeah, you took the uh, you took the words out of my mouth for for kind of a next question a little bit. Just talking about, you know, both Marvin and Mike talked about the two games they won at the end of the season, and yes, good wins against teams that were fighting to go to the playoffs. I'm not going to take it away from them, but still, uh, they were kind of playing for pride, if you will. And then, of course, they also referenced the if we won the games, we had the lead in the fourth quarter, blah, 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 yep. Packers, Titans, Steelers, of course, but you didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you didn't win those games. You fell apart. So uh, that's – and unfortunately, even when the Bengals have had their best seasons under Marvin Lewis, that's been who they are. They fall apart. They fall apart late. They fall apart late in the in games, in the season, in the postseason. They fall apart late. and. I hope that maybe the shakeup in the assistant coach level, at least, is going to change some of that. We'll see. Um, there are changes. There are positive changes that have occurred this this offseason. It's just how many win, how many more wins is that going to translate to? It's tough to tell. And it sounds like you and I are a little bit on the same page. But regardless, some interesting comments from Mike Brown and Marvin Lewis um, a couple of days before training camp, 2018 training camp, kicks off. I saw a couple of interesting comments before we switch gears here. Um, Dean Burke says, here's the real concern to me about the Bengals. Even if the Bengals draft class this year resembled the Saints 2017 draft class, which was very good. How would we even know it? Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's a, 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 because he follows it up with Marvin doesn't play our young talent nearly enough and continues to roll with the average veterans. True. We'll see if that we, we, that's another, off-season narrative we always talk about is that going to change with Marvin this year? Is that going to change? It's going to have to change at center. Yeah, uh, I, know, I know that guy's playing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll see the first round player player uh, get out there and start. So, um, but good point by Dean there, and um, you know some other guys are worried about Cordy Glenn holding up the entire season. Um, obviously durable during the first part of his career, and and not so durable of late. So. We'll see. Switching gears here, John, you've done a, a really nice series on Cincy Jungle, kind of previewing certain 
elements of training camp, talking about battles and players to watch type of thing. Um, I believe you've put out three of them so far. One is the the backup quarterback situation, which is interesting in itself. Uh, one is about oh you, you put you've put out four of them. The fourth yeah. one came out on Wednesday. Yeah, um, the receivers hitting their stride, and uh, the other two were about the pass rush. And what was what was the first one? Uh, oh, the offensive line, of course. How yep. can I forget? How can yep. I forget that one? So all have been all have been done very well. And if you have not had the chance to read those yet, I, I recommend you you do so. What I, I, this may be two different types of things, but what is? Let's start with the most important training camp battle that we should watch, especially early on, uh, because there's the most important. And there's maybe the most interesting um, that that might be two different things. So let's start with the most important um, in terms of what the Bengals are showing this year and, and what, what we need to see over the next few weeks. Most important is for sure the right tackle spot and maybe right guard is, is a close second, depending on how you look at it. It could be classified as most interesting because you have three, you know, in their careers, three bad players, but just with different ceilings, I guess. So that's how those reps are divvied up between Jake Fisher, Cedric Abwehi, Bobby Hart is going to be interesting. I would, I'm guessing that Fisher is going to be the first guy out there, but when I say that, it could be Abwehi. I I honestly have no idea what what Pollock has what Pollock has determined and what his five are going to be when they go out there on Thursday. But we won't find out anything substantial until they put the pads on. And that's just how that's that's just how it's going to be. It's just going to be a, a wait and see game because we don't know, you know, what kind of leash that Pollock is going to have on these on these guys and what kind of progress that these guys have made in the months that they've been here. So that would be probably the most important. Obviously, uh, the most interesting battle. I my favorite pick in day three was uh, Andrew Brown, the defensive uh, end out of Virginia, who's yeah. sw- switching to defensive ta- full time interior defensive tackle. Just because I went down to the Senior Bowl and he was like, I made a list about guys that stood out and every day, and he was always on that list just because he was so explosive and so, so quick off the snap. And I was like, we need a guy like that. We need a guy like that behind Geno Atkins. And it, the odds of him making the roster are not very, are, are not very big because if he does make the roster, it, they would probably carry ten defensive linemen, and they traditionally carry nine or eight. So he's got some he's got some competition in front of him. He's got Glasgow to go through, Billings to go through, Baker to go through. So if he makes it, they would have to probably carry five defensive tackles. But you know, once the pads go on, it, all bets are off, and it, it's up to him to prove that he deserves to be on the roster because he would make such an impact. Even the, even just this year, just when Gino comes off the comes off the field, just making an impact as a pass rusher from that position because they just have not had that behind him um, in Gino's career. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, he's. I, I'm not sitting here saying he's the next Geno Atkins, but there are no. some some similarities to their game um, in terms of a little bit undersized and um, explosiveness and, and and all of that. There's a little bit of similarities there. I see in in skill set. Um, it, it also may come down to you know again, what guys can they use in multiple roles? You know, if, if maybe he can be. You know, the Bengals kind of flirted with uh, Marcus Hardison 
playing defensive end and defensive tackle with the Bengals at, at some point. Um, you know, if, if Brown can do maybe a little bit of both, maybe he, he finds a way on the roster. But, um, yeah, I, I agree with you going back to the offensive line. Agree with you that that is probably the most important because the the Bengals are probably going to have at least three, if not four, new starters on the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clint, Clint Bowling's the only guy that's you know been there for a long time. Billy Price is going to play center. Glenn's a veteran, but he's new to the Bengals. Um, you know, we've seen Jake Fisher and Cedric Abwehi start at times at right tackle or play right tackle for this team, but not regularly. So you can kind of say that's a new position. And then who knows who that person might be at right guard. If that's another new face, um, you know, you're looking at potentially three to four new faces on that offensive line. Definitely needed um, Mm -hmm. based on what we've seen, but uh, you know, they, they better, they better get that sorted out and get the best players out there. So I agree with you on that being the most important. I, I'm going to go to one of your articles there and, and point at the wide receiver group. Um, and I guess that's the most um, interesting as opposed to important for me because obviously there's a lot of flash in the wide receiver position and the Bengals have a lot of high picks, a lot of promising players in that group. Obviously two top 10 picks and AJ Green, John Ross, you know what you're getting from AJ Green. You know what you're getting from Brandon LaFell at this point. Um, John Ross is exciting. What kind of leaps will Josh Malone make in, in the second year? Um, what's going to happen with Alex Erickson? And are any of these guys going to be able to potentially supplant him as a punt returner? Uh, we'll see. Maybe maybe even a defensive back might do that. I, I don't know. But that's interesting. And then, of course, the, the darling of the offseason, at least <laughs> – when it comes to, to Bengals news is, is Alvin Tate and his, his potential, you know, I, I, I get that it's a slower part of the season, but they have talked about that guy a lot. And um, I, I'm interested to kind of see if he ends up making a name for himself and latches onto the roster. I don't know. We'll see. We've talked about him on this program before, but those are, those are some of the, more the most important and interesting battles of training camp that we are looking forward to. Uh, let's see here in the live YouTube chat, Dean Burke wide receiver and D line, because we need our young guys to play well enough to cut Brandon LaFell and Michael Johnson. Oh geez. We're already talking about getting rid of getting rid of people. Uh, Carl Benson after the right tackle and right guard, the D line, and it can actually dominate the line of scrimmage. Um, and then we're we're seeing some names who they think are gonna um, who are who are going to potentially help the Bengals out. Chris Risner says, "I'm anxious to see the running back from Miami." What do you think about Mark Walton and his potential role, especially you know, kind of coming off some injuries last year, ran a slow forty, um, could potentially give them some kick return. Ability, obviously, third third back behind Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard. But what do you what do you think about him? I think that slow forty was because he was uh, coming off an injury that cut his season short. And before the injury, he he looked like a game breaker at the position. He broke off a lot of big runs, and I think most importantly, he created a lot of yards for himself. Miami doesn't have the greatest offensive line, so you saw a lot of elusiveness in the backfield from him, and just 
you know, breaking tackles and creating, you know, opportunities for himself. And that's, that's important because we don't know if this offensive line is going to get more push up front we, until we see it. But I know that they like him specifically on special teams because he did a lot of things for Miami mm-hmm. in terms of kick teams, whether it's being the per- personal protector or a gunner or just running down the field on kickoff. He's going to be involved immediately in that unit to make a name for himself. And like we know with the Bengals, if you make a name for yourself on special teams, not only are you going to make the roster, but you're going to be primed to have a bigger role down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And I believe we are joined by Scott Schultz, uh, our co-host, our, our partner in, in crime. Scott, can you hear us? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. How have you been, buddy? Uh, it's been a while. I uh, yeah. been better. I think I was sick. One time we tried to do this. Um, last time I injured, re-aggravated old back injury that was horribly painful and kept me sidelined for a bit. So I'm not 100% healthy, but healthy enough to join. So I thought I'd give you guys a little time to have some intelligent discussion. And, and then it's going to get all blown to hell. All <laughs> blown to hell now that Scott's here. Uh, by the way, John, that's uh, that, those are some old man problems. Uh, yeah, you sounded like Tyler Eifert there. Yeah, the back, <laughs> the back, the back issues. So uh, don't 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 grow old. Um, pre- present, yeah, and and I'm I'm including myself here, Scott. Okay, I'm just, just yeah. Well, I, think, I mean, Eifert's only half our age, and he's he has quite face <laughs> problems with both of us combined. Well, easy half, half our age. Let's let's not maybe. <laughs> Not me. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Scott, Just some grounding. We're, we're talking. You came in actually at a pretty good time. We're, ta- we're talking about training camp. We started off with some quotes from the, the recent quotes from Marvin Lewis and Mike Brown and, and things of that nature. But we are moving into what we've moved into are the most interesting and or important training camp battles uh, in terms of positions and all of that. Um, we we kind of both said maybe important and interesting might be a little bit different, especially from a fan perspective. So if, if, if they're the same cool, if they're, if you got two different groups or two different battles that you're looking at, um, let us know. But what, what are you thinking on that front as we get close to starting a, a training camp? Well, I'll admit I missed the first part. I'm going to guess I might be something of a broken record. Uh, so if I am, you can let me know. But I think one of the most important ones, obviously offensive line. Especially, yeah. I mean, I think we can, assuming, you know, Cordy is left tackle and Bowling's left guard. And I, I like TJ Johnson. I think he's a cool person. I don't think he has any chance of pushing price. So I think those three are set, but I think the right side is going to be very interesting how they decide to shuffle those guys like Redmond and Westerman and Hopkins and, you know, Bobby Hart and all these different folks. They, uh, you know, Kent Perkins, some people liked him and, It'll just be very interesting as way he efficient. So, yeah, I, I think the two guys on the right side is probably the most important one because we saw last year what happened when you take a, a fairly decent team. You already had a horrible center. You go from an all-pro left tackle to you know someone that PFF ranked like 70th or whatever of way he was ranked. Uh, and it made a heck of a difference. I mean, they were just awful. And the offense showed they had no time to run the ball, no running lanes. And you, you see – how much of an advantage someone like Dallas has where you have Dak Prescott and who was kind of a rookie quarterback, but behind this, you know, a couple years ago, but behind this insane line and he has all sorts of time and can make good throws. He can wait to find the open guys. You take the Bengals who had a decent offense. And then last year, you know, at that awful line just went to heck. So easily, I think most important position for me is offensive line. The one I'm most interested in is the second quarterback spot because Mm. AJ McCarron's gone 
uh, I'm kind of hoping it's not, you know, I think it's Barkley. I really don't think it's, I'm hoping it's not him. He was signed before the draft. So I think that was kind of more insurance, not knowing what to expect and because Driscoll was hurt. In my mind, it's pretty much Logan Woodside and Driscoll is the competition. And I think it's very interesting because they're two very different kind of players. If you look at their, you know, scouting reports and kind of how they played, uh, Logan Woodside is essentially a poor man's Dalton, kind of like this other than the arrest. You know, he's the slow, you know, <laughs> kind of steady, consistent guy, you know, nothing too flashy. He kind of gets the job done, kind of has that short range accuracy. He's kind of like a system guy. He can, you know, man, be a, a proficient game manager. Driscoll, on the other hand, was very highly regarded. He's the bigger, stronger, taller, athletic, kind of more franchise quarterback type, but never really put it all together. He kind of bounced around from Florida to Louisiana Tech and then went in the NFL, got cut. The Bengals, you know, have had him on their roster for a couple of years. So he's had, you know, every opportunity, all the training in the world. So it's a chance to see, okay, who gets it? Is it this, you know, prototype, you know, franchise type guy? who has now had, I guess he'll be his third year in a NFL system after spending like five years in college. So pretty much as groomed and trained as you can be, or are they going to go with the McCarran Dalton type of you're just your, yeah, your steady stable guy, never going to be a more than a career backup, but it could be a solid kind of backup. So to me, that's a very interesting battle to see how those two guys perform with the offense, uh, depending on which one's given second and third string duties, you know, who they get to play with and just see how, what decision the Bengals make. Yeah. It's an important position, but not one you hope to rely on as in the season. I mean, right. It's, it's not, it, if you're going to your backup quarterback, most of the time, it's not, uh, it's not, not really a good situation. I, I, just from what I've seen and heard of, uh, about Woodside, um, I think there there needs to be some growing up to do there. Um, I, I, you know, arrest aside, I, I think he, he might be better served um, to taking a year on the practice squad type of thing and then uh, really kind of adjusting to things. Driscoll, there's a lot to like there. Uh, I don't I don't know if he could ever be an NFL passer. Do you think, John? I, I just from what I, what I've seen, I you know he can scramble. He's got some great athleticism. I I don't see a lot of. I don't trust his arm that much. I, I think Barkley's probably the guy they roll with. He's similar to Dalton. I don't know. What do you think? Last preseason was fun with him when he had like a one of six. I looked this up. I, I looked up preseason stats in like July from last year. It was just ridiculous. I looked up. He had a pass rate like one of six, and he had that one yeah. run against like the Buccaneers, whatever. He was yeah. fun. The Bengals always have like these fun moments with backup quarterbacks in the preseason, whether it's like, what was his name? Matt Matt Jones. He's like threw up. Oh, yeah. And, and then Driscoll out juking some dude. So it, it's going to, I think that is going to be interesting in terms of who's like the shiniest turd because in terms of like, like just comparing like quarterback rooms all over the league, like you look at the Bengals, like quarterbacks behind their starters and they're just, uh, they're just no comment on how, how unbearable they could, they could be if they're throwing the regular season. And I kind of agree with Scott, like Barkley is just, he's, he's pretty much washed at 27. Driscoll has like the best chance in terms of veteran experience and, some type of talent with him but yeah his arm is questionable even though it looked even more lively than like McCarron's last preseason if he can carry that momentum from then if his arm is healed and he's no longer 
running routes as a receiver and getting injured, you know, maybe he has a chance to to really make a name for himself as, as the backup. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I know, I know, I I know why Scott's not a Barkley guy. I I know because he's an SC guy, and Scott just can't stand the USC guys getting any kind of run. And didn't didn't Barkley beat your Buckeyes, buddy? I know the Bengals or Ohio State won the last game. I'm not sure if Barkley. <laughs> okay. Barkley was not there for the last game. Bar- Barkley was that was that was Sam Darnold for the last game. Uh, he looked really good. <laughs> uh, there's one other. If I have time, can I throw out yeah, one other yeah, position? Yeah, yeah. I this gave you, I gave you some I gave you some crap. So we'll, 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 we'll talk some more. There's one other position I'm very interested in. I don't know if a lot of people are really looking at this as a camp battle or an interesting position, but one that's kind of near and dear to my heart, and this goes back to last year when I was doing the scouting reports and I um, made this prediction the Bengals were going to draft this kicker from Memphis named Jake Elliott, and they (laughs) drafted him, and he was awesome, and he had this monster leg. He's perfect on everything outside of like this 30-yard range. He's the best kicker they've had since I don't know, probably since ever. Probably better, maybe not as famous as Jim Breach, but probably better if you look at accuracy. <laughs> but for the time, Jim Breach was good. Back when fifty percent was a good kicker. Anyway, great kicker goes, and of course I cut him. So I was looking at this year, thinking, okay, they even late last year they looked at dumping Randy Bullock, or maybe not dumping it, but they made some comments that you know he's kind of his job security is week to week. So you figure at some point they're going to get a kicker. There were a couple of really good ones in this draft. Daniel Carson and um, out of Auburn and Eddie Pinheiro out of Florida. So you figure they may take one of the two. They showed last year they're willing to take one. These guys are both really good, have a lot of upside. You have strong legs, very accurate. They totally, you know, all these picks they have with these supplemental picks or thing, don't use a single one in a kicker. Go into the undrafted free agent period. Okay, now they're going to kick get a kicker. Didn't get a kicker, so you're yep. still stuck with Randy Bullock. But they have this kid from Louisville that they added a couple years ago, uh, John Brown, the guy who never kicked in high school or college but had a really long leg. So in my mind, and I this may just, just be pipe dream because I'm not a Randy Bullock fan, is that they may see something in this, you know, this unknown John Brown guy that, hey, we've had this guy for a couple years kind of as a – backup on the practice squad kind of you know future reserve whatever list he's been on that this is someone that we've seen we've kind of taught we've groomed you know this guy booms these 60 70 whatever yard field goals we think this is his year this is why we didn't draft a kicker or sign one because we think this guy can really push bullock and that may be total pipe dream but i want to see if that's why they didn't go after a kicker and i want to see what this you know what this john brown guy can do is he as good as you know, I'm hoping he is, or are they just basically handing the job to Bullock because he's another Mike Nugent? So that's man. the air position I'm curious in. Man, oh man, if they cut Jake Elliott the year he was drafted and then cut Bullock for John Brown the year after, I might blow my brains out. <laughs> that is <laughs> that might that might cause a revolt. <laughs> but that if he wins the job, I mean, fine, but it's going, I think it's going to take a near miracle type of situation this summer for Jonathan Brown to supplant Randy Bullock. And by that, I mean, not only will Jonathan Brown have to have an outstanding preseason, but Randy Bullock will have to just 
poop the bed basically in, it, 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 for that to happen. And, and the Bengals love those veterans in the, in some of those spots. So I just, I don't know if I see it. So, but it would be, that is that if Jonathan Brown made that competition interesting, that would be, that would at least be fun to watch this summer. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Kazenza, and I'm joined by John Sheeran and Scott Schultz. Great to have both of them with us. You can get this program on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, on Cincy Jungle. All of our material is there. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at BengalsOBI, and you can get in touch with us via email, theobinsider at gmail.com. We do record this show every week, so if you can join us live, we're, it's streamed through Cincy Jungle. We're, we're live on our YouTube channel. There's a live YouTube chat, so you can come on board and talk to some other Bengals fans and submit some questions. We Almost every episode, we, we do some listener questions. We're going to try and do the same tonight. Um, running up a little bit against some time, but uh, we're going to pr- still probably get to one or two. So send those over to us and subscribe to our channels when you get the chance. We appreciate the support. Moving on, this is a, a topic that I thought was very interesting that John Sheeran brought brought up today, and it's. I wish I kind of had like a money, 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 like the, that track playing, but it's about contracts. It's about contract holdouts. Obviously, one of the biggest, well, two two of the biggest stars, offensive players in the league, Le'Veon Bell and. Uh, Julio Jones are having major contract dispute issues. Le'Veon Bell did not get a long-term deal done with the Steelers. Some people are saying he will um, not be with the team after this year. We'll see if that happens. Julio Jones is under contract for another couple of years, but he wants it restructured. This brought up an interesting uh, pre-show conversation between John and I, and obviously we want to get Scott's thoughts on this as well. What if one of the Bengals' valued veterans decided that they were going to hold out to get that new contract? Uh, we saw Carlos Dunlap not show up to those voluntary mini camps earlier in the earlier in the uh, in the spring there, but he is awaiting a new a possible new contract. Geno Atkins is awaiting a possible new contract. Um, you know, if Julio Jones gets something done, who knows what AJ Green's reaction will be on that front. So I guess from a fan perspective and a, a Bengals perspective, we'll start with you, John, since you came up with this topic, would you be irritated? Would you understand maybe a little bit of both if these guys held out? Um, there's a lot of factors to consider. Obviously they've already been productive players for the Bengals for a long time. And, you know, they got to get the money as they inch towards the end of their career, but also how much time do they have left? So a lot of factors to consider. What are your thoughts? Growing up, I was always on team billionaire over millionaire, meaning, you know, team over players. And I've slowly gravitated over time towards millionaires over billionaires because the millionaires the players are the guys that have in some ways have gotten screwed out of the last um collective bargaining agreement and they look at nba deals now they're getting you know fully guaranteed contracts max contracts in the 150 million range and there are you know guys who are getting you know 30 20 percent guaranteed contracts on, on their on supposedly their biggest contract of of their careers and whatnot, I will never ever blame a player who wants to go to the bank, and I will always stand with that because the football is a dangerous game, and 
uh, something that not a lot of fans think about when a player holds out or a player wants to restructure for like a Julio Jones example, he still has three years left on his deal and there's still plenty of guaranteed money on that deal and the Falcons can't cut him, but owners and just teams in general have cut ties with players, you know, with multiple years left on their deals and no one blinks an eye if the player isn't, isn't good or is, is deemable of getting cut. So in theory, the, the players should have that same right to say, Hey, I, I don't want to be a victim of, of salary cap inflation. I want to be paid out to my level, which is what Julio Jones is saying, and he deserves the right to sit out. And just the fact of sitting out, like if Geno Atkins or Carlos Dunlap sat out like training camp and preseason, they're 29 and 30 years old. They're the two best players on the defense. I don't care if they play, if they don't practice with a team or play meaningless games anymore. Like I'm, I'm old enough to realize that these guys are professionals and they're going to be ready to go week one. And they always show up week one, if not week one, week two, which is what Aaron Donald did last year. These guys are going to end up playing, but they're, but their message and their stance should not be ignored or shouldn't be punished by just supporting billionaires in the sense of owners. So I will never, ever side with the owners in terms of a, a player holding out unless it's beyond egregious, unless it like happens after like one year or something like that, where when you just like can't defend it. But if, yeah, hell, if Eifert wanted to hold out, he, he can hold out. Hell, I don't want him. I don't want him injured in like preseason or training camp. Hold, hold out, Eifert. You know, it's, it's no problem to me. Like the, the the less you play meaningless snaps and practice snaps, the better. Yeah, and uh, the the good news. I mean, I I don't want to say it's a character flaw for these guys to to hold out, but obviously from a fan perspective and from a team perspective, there there's kind of an, a stigma, right or wrong, of them being selfish for wanting to do this. And uh, you know, luckily the Bengals don't no longer have a lot of those players on their roster, especially some of their most star players are the the most quiet and humble type of guys, Dunlap, Atkins, Green. So, you know, uh, I don't foresee this happening. Scott, your your thoughts on this um, in terms of who you would maybe side with, who – uh, you know, would you be angry at, at those guys if they if they held out, especially at this point in their career? I really wouldn't be. I mean, it'd be hard to be angry because some of the things John said are dead on. If you look at like the shelf life of an of an NFL player, I mean, most guys are gone within a couple years. Like you know, they say NFL is not for long, and most players, if they're lucky, make it to a second contract, and that's where their money is made, and then their bodies beat, and they're spent, and they're gone. And so I, I totally understand some like Le- Le'Veon Bell why he wants that huge deal, and I totally understand why the Steelers would. I there's no way I'd give it to him because they've run that guy into the ground. He was heavy usage in Michigan State, got injured, came to you know Pittsburgh. They've you know given him the most carries or touches, like 25 a game since he's entered the league. I don't think he really has enough left to justify getting that kind of money, but he has a right to ask for it. I mean, he's, you know, been through the grind. Let's get, you know, get what you can get. That being said, I think the only Bengals I could see really making an argument, I could see green or Atkins, maybe even Dalton. Like if one of those guys held out and didn't play on the team, I could see the team definitely hurt. Uh, and the one thing I'm kind of curious, and I don't know the answer to this is because it's kind of like striking, but they have a union. So I'm kind of curious what the CBA allows for. Does it allow for them? I mean, I assume it allows for them to hold out because if you kind of like, if you're all agreeing that has a union, here's the rules we're going to abide by. And if the rules say that, Hey, as a union, when our individual members sign their contracts, they have to honor them. Then I'd be more inclined. Okay. You know, you 
you shouldn't be sitting out. You should be on your list because that's part of your CBA that you, you know, they were give and take. And that was something you signed up for. The CBA says, sure, you can, you know, you guys can hold out. We don't care. Then I, I think I'd be more open. Like the thing I wouldn't want to see is for the CBA to say players and owners should do one thing and then have them kind of go rogue, I guess, and do their own thing. And if you've outplayed a contract, like if Julio thinks, hey, I've outplayed this, I want more money, you know, I, I think it makes sense. I think the one thing is, um, you know, especially in football contracts, unlike something like Major League, like in Major League, the contracts are totally guaranteed. So if you're a team like the Reds, who are next door to the Bengals, they gave this absurd contract to Homer Bailey about five or six years ago. He's a, you know, he's a starting pitcher for them. Was a mediocre pitcher. They paid him like a great pitcher. He wasn't a great pitcher. Then he got hurt and became a bad pitcher. So he's never lived up to that money. But they're basically on the hook. They can't do anything about it. It's fully guaranteed. In football, they're not. The guy you give a guy a big contract, he's horrible. You you can walk the next day and say, okay, you know, we're cutting you. We're not giving you that money. You're just so. I understand their their willingness to want to ask for more. Now, if their contract's fully guaranteed, it's a little different because you know the the team can't just say adios if they owe them that money. So I don't know. I I guess I'm kind of the. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth, not really giving a solid answer. I guess my answer is I I see both sides. I I don't get upset at all when a player asks for more. I mean, if the Bengals player was like, "Hey, I want to sit out to get more money," I'm like, "That's fine. I don't care." I you know, it's a it's a business. It's your livelihood. You know, I hope no one. Uh, you know, if you go into contract negotiations with your boss, uh, I don't think the other coworkers are like, "Dang it, I, I can't stand that guy. I can't believe Anthony would go and ask for a raise." Yeah. Uh, you know, I. Maybe they would. I, I don't know. I, I don't work in Concordia. I don't know what the work environment's like. Well, I'm, I'm just not well liked in general. So I mean, I think people <laughs> do that regardless. So, um, <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I with with these guys, the, the thing I worry about is not necessarily a holdout if that even happens. It's more of, I mean, these guys are drafted in 2010 and 2011, they're getting towards the backside of their careers. Yes. They've been extremely valuable to the success of this team. Yes. They deserve to be paid as one of the highest paid players at their position, but we're now looking at a scenario where, you know, two, three years from now, they either might not be on the Bengals anymore, or they might not even be playing NFL football anymore. So, you know, if they're going to hold out and, and really kind of hold the Bengals hostage, if you will, for massive amounts of money, it would be more of kind of a lifetime achievement award type of contract almost rather than paying for future production because father time at some point, hopefully not this year or next, is going to start catching up with some of these Bengals stars because, you know, this was a really young and up-and-coming up team when they made those five playoffs and now all of a sudden they're they're getting older at critical positions and you know they're they're going to need to find some answers so um that's I, I think i think we're all kind of in agreement here where you kind of you understand both sides but uh there are some irritations especially from a fan perspective that comes from that and um you know unfortunately every team goes through it the Bengals luckily have had less of that than they did in the pre Marvin Lewis era and I think they've specifically targeted certain players to bring in that um, are kind of the put your head down and work and that sort of thing. And uh, previous years, especially at the skill positions, that wasn't the case. So, and not only that, but they've established a 
you know, a company precedent where if you sign this contract, you're going to see all of it. It's essentially a hundred percent guaranteed contract. Like they don't cut players unless, you know, they screw up off the field or they're just playing bad. If you just are just a decent player and you just kind of live up to that contract, you're going to see all of it. So like technically yeah. like 20%, 30% guaranteed, it's a hundred percent guaranteed for the Bengals. They don't, they, they don't just like let go guys that they extended basically. Yeah. And that's, and that's why there's no like holdouts because you know, the guaranteed money to them doesn't, it, it isn't, isn't a real thing. All of it's guaranteed. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit about that, about Garrett Bengals and their spending or not spending of guaranteed money earlier in the show. But, um, yeah, that's a great point there, John. So, you know, it'll it'll probably happen at some point with some player in the near future with the Bengals. So, I mean, it's, it's happened a bunch with bigger, you know, star players with other player uh, with other teams. So it's just bound to happen. But uh, I don't. I think as of as of this point, we would have heard some rumblings about Atkins, Dunlap, uh, Green, Dalton being upset about that stuff gets out. And uh, I think at this point, we would have we would have heard about that. So not to worry, we're, we're just playing a little hypothetical fun game for you guys. And uh, hopefully you found a little entertaining. Let's get out of here with some listener questions, guys. There was a couple that I saw that I wanted. One was very quick, and it was from... Chris Risner, who do you all see as the starting linebackers with perfect out? Let's start with you, Scott. Uh, I'm going to say, obviously, Preston Brown. I mean, that's kind of a – are we just looking for the his replacement or are we looking for all three? I think he said line, linebackers, uh, the starting linebackers, so I'll, I'll, uh, all of them. Okay, going off memory because my mind just like went blank because I was just focused on something across the room. Uh, okay. I'm going to say um, Preston Brown in the middle. And then the other two, uh, I I know Nick Vigil didn't play very well, but he is a veteran. I think he's entering his third year. He was a starter last year. I really think they're going to give him a chance. I don't think they're ready to move on from him, even though they, he, I don't know. He, he looked decent at the beginning of the year, but kind of looked like a liability before he got hurt. But I, I still think he's probably in the driver's seat just because of his veteran experience. And then as far as the third one, and this is where I feel horrible because my mind is like totally blanking. Like I'm just not in um, – I'm trying to remember who the other linebackers I'm, – I'm not in uh, preseason form yet. But I, for some reason, the only guys I can think of are like the newer guys, like the guys who were rookies last year, like uh, Brandon Bell or the uh, – well, Brandon Bell's on an, on an uh, he was placed on okay. an active list. We we got Malik Jefferson, Jordan Evans, obviously Vinny Ray. They're all kind of fighting for for playing time as well. So they're they're all options as well. Um, I, I'm kind of I'm with you, Scott. I think I think Vigil's got one of them like on lock just because they they like continuity and they already lost their middle linebacker. They brought in Preston Brown. Vigil's going to start. At least when they're in base, it's it's just interesting that I've, I've we've heard more about Jordan Evans like this offseason than Vincent Ray in terms of mm-hmm. starting for Perfect at weak side linebacker, and it, which is always interesting because whenever Perfect was suspended or hurt, it was always usually Ray who filled in for him. He was he was always the the first linebacker off the bench whenever something bad happened. He's he's got one year left on his deal, and I think they just realized that he's just a reserve at this point and. They don't want him starting at all. He's certainly not a guy you want on nickel. 
And when the Bengals do go in nickel without perfect, it's going to be interesting if they keep pressing Brown out there because he did that in Buffalo and kind of got exposed in coverage a lot of times, but he at least has experience playing in those kinds of looks. And if it, it could be vigil next to him, it could be Evans. Evans is definitely a guy who I think they're counting on making that, that second year leap, if you will, and making the most of, of, of perfect uh, being suspended. I don't think Jefferson's there yet though. I don't think he's going to start. Uh, I, this is, go ahead, this is why we have smart guys like uh, John on here. Evans, the kid from Oklahoma. I kept yeah. thinking Oklahoma, but I could not think of his name. Well, there you go. Hey, it, it's, it's what happens when you've taken a siesta from the program. My <laughs> your, 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 your brain gets, gets a little, uh, gets a little hazy. Hey, we've all, yeah, I'm going to blame my back on that one. Yeah, there you go. Um, maybe it's the pain meds for the back. If you're, if you're taking those, um, I, you know, it's interesting, John, that you said that you don't feel, uh, that Jefferson is there yet. I I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you, but I think the upside is, is big with that kid. That was one of my favorite picks sure. of, of, of the draft. I, I just think he's, there's a lot of, uh, both tangible and intangibles there, in terms of like size, you know, height, weight, speed, and size, all that stuff. I think obviously maybe, if, you know, whether, whether you want to call it football IQ or angle taking or all of that kind of stuff that you learn along the way and that he needs to be taught. I think obviously that's there, but I, I agree that he's probably going to be on the back burner a little bit, but that is a guy I'm very interested to see how he plays in general. This, um, this, training camp in this preseason, because I think that I think the sky is the limit for that guy. If he can kind of click on more of the, uh, the study side, I guess, of the game. Yes. Preston Brown's going to start in the middle. I think that's just going to happen. Probably. I think, I think it's going to be vigil and Ray, but I think there's going to be a lot of rotating around with those guys, especially in those four games when Burfick's out, I think there's going to be a lot of rotating with those guys in and out, maybe even Jefferson in and out of there a little bit. Um, I, I just see those guys, you know, Evans is athletic, but young and, and needs some work as well. Ray's kind of the Swiss army knife guy. He's, he's a little shorter and, and stockier than, than some of the other guys, but um, he's not the most athletically gifted linebacker, but he does a lot of things okay to pretty well so you know I think I think that's kind of where I'm at with that I'd like to see Jefferson get his shot but I think you're going to see a lot of rotating and then like John said there I think also the Bengals play a lot of nickels so I think you're going to see a Jesse Bates out there frequently with the other two safeties um, you know Darquez Denard Drake Kirkpatrick and uh, William Jackson out there a lot in, in packages so I think there's going to there's not going to be a, a lot of traditional you know, four, three defense, four, three defense. I think it's going to be, you know, a four, two, whatever, you know, it, they're going to mix it up a lot. And um, I, I think and that's okay. You know, that's going to confuse younger quarterbacks and um, they want to make plays and get the most athletic guys out there. So that's, that's, I think how we feel about the linebackers at this point. I don't know, guys, I'll let you decide if, do we want to talk about, do we want an answer an Andy Dalton question in terms of, uh, in terms of future? Do we do we want to go there? I I know it's interesting. Who's the um, who's the four slow who still doesn't know? <laughs> well, it's Kenneth McClendon Jr. Yeah, I guess, I guess we're going for it. Let's just go for it. When is it time to move on from Dalton? 
and this 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 should be an entire program. But um, John, I, I guess I guess to narrow that question down, what if the Bengals have another season with Dalton at the helm for the entire year, like they've had the past two years? You know, six wins, seven wins, and it's the, the offense is really roller coastery, and he has you know some of the games on his resume for the year is like what we saw in Baltimore in week one last year, you know, just stuff we've seen from the past two years. Is that, is it after this year or is it just got to keep going with it? Because Marvin Lewis signed a two year contract, basically Andy Dalton also has two more guaranteed years here. And even if like, even if Dalton for some miraculous reason was cut, after this season, even after a bad year, it still would be, you know, unlikely. I still wouldn't want Marvin Lewis to have a, another chance with a, with a young quarterback. I would want a total reset once the quarterback got reset. They had the perfect chance to do something with, with you know, drafting like Lamar Jackson this year as like a future replacement because Dalton is now 30 years old, going, going to be 31, and his limit has obviously been reached, and the offense's limit has been reached when there's not enough talent around him. The time was, you know, the, the time has passed us to realize that this was the point that they were at, but this is the bed that they made and they're going to sleep in it as long as Marvin is here. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that, and I'm, I'm going to get to Scott here in just a second, but I think that if the Bengals, from a really a franchise perspective standpoint and everything, if the Bengals again are in that top 10, top 12 pick range, in 2019 after after you know it's another subpar season this year um i think at at that point you got to start you really have to start looking at at something and i especially believe that if john ross ross is healthy if tyler eifert is healthy and both of them are contributing you know i think at that point you got to get somebody else there to do that and it's not to say i'm i'm I haven't been impressed at times with some of what Dalton has done for this team, but I mean, it's at some point, if you're not winning games, you look at the quarterback and you look at the coach and um, you know, that's fair or not. That's kind of where, where you're at or where, you know, franchises look Scott, what, what do you think? Yeah. I think you guys basically nailed it that uh, Dalton is here as long as Marvin Lewis is here. No question about that. You know, barring an injury, as long as Marvin's the coach, Lewis is the quarterback. I think uh, they have Marvin's made that pretty well clear many times over. That is not changing. They're not going after free agents. They're not going to draft anyone. That is their guy. That being said, I think that the day they finally move on from Marvin, whether he miraculously has a run, wins some playoff games, and decides to hang it up, or if they just say enough's enough, you know, we're we're turning into Jeff Fisher era where we're going to win six, seven, eight games every year. I think at that point they, you know, when they replace him, you know, they, they always say the one thing the new coach does is brings in a new quarterback. And I think that would be the time you'd see it because at that point, you know, you would have had Dalton for, you know, we've had him for what, seven years so far. Uh, you would have had him for eight, nine years at that point. He is who he is. He's going to be a solid, decent, you know, guy maybe slightly better than like a, you know, in that range of like a Case Keenum or a Alex Smith, kind of a Kirk Cousins, depending on what's around him. Is it, yeah. 
But a new guy is going to want to bring in a new quarterback, and that, that might be one of the reasons why they didn't look at a future guy, only because if you the last thing you want to do is use a first-round pick on a, I don't know, Rosen or Larry, whoever it is, bring him in, hire a new coach in a couple of years, and then have him decide, yeah, that's not the guy I want. I really want a quarterback that does yeah. this other thing instead. So my, my assumption is we're going to have Dalton and Lewis together. The day they get rid of Lewis is the day the new coach comes in. The new coach says we're grabbing a quarterback and either – it's probably going to be a high pick, so it's probably going to be a guy they're going to say we're starting with him right now. We're going to let Dalton go, or they'll do one of these one-year things. Okay, Dalton, you're our stopgap uh, while we get our new guy up to speed. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, Kenneth, probably probably not for a while. <laughs> um, I, I think I think uh, the Bengals are are pretty attached to Lewis and Dalton, especially at this point. So I don't. Now again, our perspective. Uh, fan perspective is going to be different than what the franchise wants to do. So I think, you know, maybe at this point we feel like there should have been a change or needs to be a change soon, um, especially if things continue the way they have been. Or um, whereas the franchise is kind of saying, you know, we know what we get from these guys. Let's let's keep it, keep it going, try and stack talent around them and see what happens. Quickly, before we get out of here, we're, we're, uh, we've been going for a little over an hour. Um, there was a question from Dean Burks, and I'll start back with you, Scott, and then to John, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Dean Burke wants to know. Let's let's try and keep it brief. Like, give me one non-surprising cut, and let, let's not say you know. Let's try and not say like, oh, an undrafted free agent this year. Obviously, I mean it's bound to happen. I hate to say that, but one veteran likely cut and one surprise cut, Scott, after training camp is done and we're heading to the regular season. So I can't use someone like Kermit Whitfield as my surprise cut. Uh, I would prefer you didn't, but... (laughs) I'm going to say one non-surprising cut um, would be Seathan Carter. Does that count, or is that too... I mean, he was on the active roster last year. I would count that. That's fine. fine. The few games I've seen him play, I've just seen absolutely nothing. I mean, he's a... (laughs) I saw him drop a touchdown pass in the game I went yes. to last year. He, yes. yeah, he did absolutely. He, I think he also cost me a fantasy football game. Uh, still won both my league, so I'm okay with that. But I wasn't at the time. Uh, but yeah, I, I've just seen absolutely. No, I don't understand that it's a fourth tight end. I mean, you just, uh, yeah, I, he's someone I, I just can't see staying under any circumstance. So. I guess I can call him my surprising cut, maybe, or my my, okay. my unsurprising. I mean, yeah. Okay. yeah, he's definitely unsurprising. My surprising cut, and I, I mentioned this earlier, and I obviously have to give us some thought. So on the top of my head, I'm going to go with uh, the one that I hope this doesn't come true only because I don't want John to shoot himself. Uh, but I'm going to say Randy Bullock. <laughs> okay. I'm going to okay. say that's why they didn't draft a kicker. They've seen enough in John Brown. They're like, man, this guy cannot only kick 60, 70-yard field goals but he gets them through regularity. That's why we're not drafting a guy. This is our guy. You know, we're moving on from fat Randy and we are, you know, going in a new direction with this uh, guy out of nowhere. Okay. Uh, good, good stuff. Uh, John. Are, are we naming three cuts or two? Is it unsurprising and surprising? Yeah. Okay. But if, if you got a couple, that's fine. Okay. Unsurprising. I'll go Bobby Hart. Um, I think his mm-hmm. main competition is, at this point, whoever's the swing tackle, and that could be a boy, that could be Fisher, whoever is likely to win there. I think 
I think Fisher's likely to win right tackle, and then it's it's either Hard or Boy. He used the swing, and obviously Hard came in here with like the most veteran minimum contract you can think of. I think he reached out to the Bengals to actually get a deal. So there's not much more I think he can improve upon, and he doesn't have the athletic baseline at a boy he does that a guy like Pollock can work with. So I think he's he's going to be he's going to be he may, he may not be a first cut, but he'll definitely be a cut like midway or to the, towards the end of the preseason. A surprising cut I'll mention is Josh Shaw, and only because I think the Bengals are pretty much set at safety. They have four guys who are guaranteed to make the roster, and the fifth guy might be Brandon Wilson, who I think has more potential to be a better version of Josh Shaw in that in that safety cornerback hybrid. He's a guy who kind of made you know made a couple splash plays on special teams last year, and I think he's going to get a chance to do that again in the preseason and training camp. And then the cornerback position, they drafted uh, Devontae Harris and Darius Phillips in the fifth round. So that cornerback room is a little bit more tighter now. Shaw is in the final year of his deal, so it would make sense for um, them to let him go. But he's also played a lot of snaps in the last couple of years. Uh, he started over Dennard in 2016 at slot cornerback, but then Dennard took that over. So I think time is running out on him. Even though he's a veteran, It's you know you never, you never really expect them to let go of those guys, but I, I think he's got a really good chance of not seeing the final roster. That was actually one I was gonna. Uh, I was narrowing narrowing it down to. So that's yeah, and that's. I, I was gonna say either or him or uh, or Kavari Russell, but because mm-hmm. of because of who they brought in and and new defensive coordinator. But I'll I'll go a different direction here. I'm gonna say surprise. Um, I'm gonna say surprise because Alex Erickson. Um, and you know, that may or may not be a surprise given that he was an undrafted free agent, but he's had a pretty significant role with the team, especially on special teams. Uh, the last couple of seasons, I saw a major dip in his return game from 2016 to 2017. Um, I think the Bengals, uh, you know, if the Alden Tate hype is real, um, I think they've got another receiver there. Maybe they find a niche for Walton, John Ross, maybe even um, somebody to return kicks or they do a rotational type of deal uh, to get some explosiveness back there. And I, I think I, as I was doing a preview piece of the wide receiver group, I think um, Alex Erickson only has about 17 or 19 catches and one touchdown in his two years with the Bengals. Um, you know, Nice, nice player. He's done some good things, but definitely replaceable in my, uh, in my opinion. And um, I think, I think it's not going to be a surprise, but it may surprise some. I think Logan Woodside will be cut and um, probably will land on the team's practice squad. I, I think the arrest really didn't do him any favors this, this season. And I think the Bengals are going to go, um, they've got a lot of young guys in a lot of different spots. They're probably a quarterback a little more inclined to go with a veteran guy who has NFL starts under his belt and Matt Barkley to back up uh, Dalton. And even though Barkley hasn't reached anywhere near his potential that you saw in college, um, maybe if this if Dalton does go down with an injury, say, and um, you know the rest of the offensive staff is intact, Ross Eifert Green. Um, Barkley in the NFL hasn't really had that kind of arsenal to throw to Mixon Bernard included. So, um, you know, I think at least he can maybe 
get him going a little bit. And I think he's just a little bit more ready to, to help now if needed than a guy like Woodside is or Driscoll is. So um, those are my guys. Any final thoughts, guys, before we get out of here, John? Train camps tomorrow. Um, I'll be there uh, Monday and Wednesday, and I'll be I'll be back here on Wednesday to recap some thoughts. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we, we look forward to that. And uh, obviously getting the – uh, the the bird's eye view there from from you right right front and center that'd be uh be good to hear some some sights and sounds there and obviously um your experience as a fan being there uh we'd love to hear that so when you're when you're willing and able we'll we'll have you back on to do that uh scott any final thoughts as the Bengals head into training camp and as you heal your back yeah i'm just hoping it's uh yeah i can um get back a little sooner next time than, or I don't have another, you know, what, two month <laughs> gap where a lot of things pop up before the next podcast. Uh, but that being said, this is a great time of the year because one, it's a chance for folks to start thinking about these kind of things again. And two, everyone's undefeated. I mean, it's a great opportunity to focus on the positives. You know, everyone's excited about the, the things that were done right. Uh, we tend not to think so much about the negative things because it's been a while. And so people are kind of excited. Kind of like, you know, you haven't seen a friend for a long time and you're excited, you see them and you're thinking of like all the good things. You, you're not thinking of, man, I really hate this or that about them. You're thinking, man, I love this and that. So it's kind of the, you know, that time where everyone's still pretty happy. Things are really good. Eifert's not hurt yet. Uh, so yeah, things are good. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on, guys. Appreciate that. I guess for me, I just want to say, um, first of all, thank you. There's been a ton of new subscribers to our channels and everything. Very cool. And uh, got some recent comments from a lot of positive comments from a lot of people. So appreciate that. Appreciate we, we love that you love what we do, which is which is awesome. And I guess the other thing I want to say is almost every single prognostication that has come out this year in terms of predicting how the Bengals will fare in 2018 has been pretty negative. Um, you know, six wins, seven wins, that, that seems to kind of be the norm amongst many major media outlets. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if the Bengals pull what they did in 2011 and uh, kind of surprise everybody and are much better than people think. And, and even potentially some of us think on this show, um, or if if there's going to prove to be a lot of smart people in the in the media as the year goes on, we'll see. Let's hope they're wrong, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Enjoy training camp. Enjoy preseason. Keep it here on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Again, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, CincyJungle.com, uh, on Twitter at BengalsOBI, via email theobinsider at gmail.com. We're all there. Enjoy it. Keep your eyes also glued to cincyjungle.com for a lot of coverage. John, myself, and Scott will be uh, pumping out a lot of content, especially over the next handful of weeks, I'm sure. So keep it there for all the news, updates, analysis, opinions, all that good stuff. Enjoy training camp as it as it uh, ensues, and we appreciate you guys tuning in both live and downloading the program. Who day? We'll see you next time. Hello. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, 
maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. 